All right, let's um, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it just down through the centuries, uh, Lord, that we can read your word, that we can know your mind, we can we can learn about Jesus Christ, we can learn about salvation. God, you have not left your church without guidance, and uh, God, we are just thankful for that. God, we uh, we understand the need to to be prepared uh, to give an answer, to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that we have. And God, I just pray that uh, as we study the the history of, of how we got the Bible, Lord, that it would uh, just strengthen our faith and that it would equip us uh, to be able to boldly proclaim the gospel. Um, and Lord, just that you would use it um, in our lives and in the lives of those who do not yet know. And there's a few more trickling in here. All right. So, um, and I'll let you guys decide whether you want the lights on or off there. Uh, You can see it well enough, and then we can go with it with the lights on. But whatever you guys prefer. All right, so uh, last week we began talking about um, how we got the Bible, Um, just kind of primarily introduction stuff, but we also started talking about uh, the the copying of the text of the the Bible. Um, This morning we're going to start talking about the corruption and the restoration of the text of the Bible. this, the, the Bible was written at a time before the existence of the printing press and long before the existence of computers and word processors. Um, and so when documents are copied by hand, especially long documents, uh, errors are going to occur. And, I mean, that's, that's true with every document, and it's no different with the Bible. Um, and a lot of times that can be alarming. Uh, especially if you think of, for example, like the telephone game. Uh, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the telephone game, and the idea is that you, you know, usually do this with kids, and you line them up in a in a line, and you you uh, you know you whisper something to the first one in the line, and they're supposed to whisper it to the next person, and then they're supposed to whisper it to the next person, and it goes right on down the line. And by the time you get to the end of the line, you ask the person, well, "What is the what is the message?" Um, usually it's really garbled and doesn't have any relation to, to what it was uh, to start with. Now, it's probably somewhat biased in that if you use kids to do that, probably with adults it wouldn't be quite as bad, but um, even then it can still be bad. And the, the fact is we, we tend to think, um, if we don't really know anything about this topic, we tend to think of the transmission of the Bible in that way, as if, um, you know, Matthew wrote his gospel and somebody wrote a copy of it, and then they just burned the original copy of Matthew, and everybody just had to, you know, just kind of follow in a line. Um, and the reality is that's not the case. There was um, a lot of multiple copying of uh, of the original and following copies, um, and there was a lot of checking, and there was there's all sorts of things that can give us great confidence um, in being able to to look at it and say, well, what does the Bible actually say? Um, and to a certain degree, we're not even going to talk that much about that this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more about the corruption than the restoration. But I do want to just start with um, we can we can restore the text. We can look at it and we can see what the original text is. Uh, the church through the centuries, um, even when uh, they had less tools than us, they still had access to the Word of God. So um, it's important to understand that. Um, so, as we talk about this, one thing that is important, um, I guess I should start moving some slides here, if I can get this to cooperate. So, so corruption and restoration, that's basically what we're talking about here. So we want to we wanna start with just some vocabulary. Some of the vocabulary of what we're going to talk about might be a little strange to you. Um, and so I just want to throw a few words or phrases out there. Um, just to just to make sure that you understand what we're talking about. Um, when we talk about a manuscript, um, 
it's actually, you know, from a combination of words there, manu and script. So manual and then script is writing. Um, so the idea is what a manuscript is, is that it's handwritten. Uh, that's opposed to a printed text. Now, we don't necessarily use those words like that today. Uh, you know, somebody writes a book, you know, their first copy is called the manuscript, even if they did it on a word processor. But when we're talking about uh, texts of the Bible, when we talk about manuscripts and printed texts, um, when we talk about a manuscript, we are specifically talking about something that was handwritten, which most of those happened before the invention of the printing press. Um, it didn't happen overnight that people stopped making hand copies, but um, but it, it died out fairly quickly after the, the printing press came along. Um, then the autograph. Now, again, this can be confusing because we have a modern-day definition for what an autograph is, right? It's, you know, you go up to some celebrity and you say, can I have your autograph? You want, you know, their signature, basically. When we talk about an autograph in this sense, we're talking about what was actually written by the biblical author. Uh, so if we're talking about the Gospel of John, for example, um, I don't know if John sat down with a pen and wrote out the Gospel of John or whether he dictated it to somebody else and they wrote it down with a pen, but either way, that first handwritten copy is known as the autograph. Now, as soon as somebody makes a copy of that, that's not the autograph, that's just a copy. Um, but when we talk about the autographs um, of the Bible, we're talking about the very first uh, original copy. Um, and it's important to note uh, that we're pretty sure we don't have any autographs uh, of the Bible, Old or New Testament, uh, that none of them have survived. They have just worn out uh, or been lost or somehow destroyed uh, over the centuries. Um, but that really shouldn't concern us because we can get back to the reading of the autograph, the original reading, uh, without any particularly great difficulty. Exemplar is another word that we use in this discussion. Um, does anybody know what an exemplar is? Okay. Um, when you are copying a text, um, you've got a text in front of you and then you make a copy of it, the one you're going from is called the exemplar. So um, in the discussions we bring up exemplars like when this text was copying something, it was copying the exemplar. Whatever whatever text it was that it was copying, that's the exemplar. Um, and then variant. Uh, a variant is basically just a change in the text. So if two people copy a text, um, they're gonna they're gonna make mistakes. People just make mistakes, uh, especially if I mean if you, if you have a really short document. You know, then you can get away with no mistakes. But anything the size of you know the books of the Bible, um, you're going to have mistakes. So if somebody copies it and they make a mistake, and then somebody else copies the this, this same uh, exemplar um, and they make a mistake, they're probably going to make a different mistake. Um, and so you look at them and you're going to say, okay, well here's here's one place where they differ. So one of them or the other one made a mistake. And then here's another place where they differ. So one or the other one made a mistake. Um, and so there you have two variants. They vary between the copies. Um, and so when we look at the manuscripts of the Bible, we're going to be considering, it's like, what are the variants? How many variants are there? Um, and so that's, variants are, that's going to be a huge part of this discussion. Um, and then another word is extant. Does anybody know what extant means? Extant basically just means still existing. So um, if a manuscript gets destroyed, it's no longer extant. But uh, when we talk about the manuscripts we actually have, we're talking about the manuscripts that are extant. And then textual criticism. Um, now there's different forms of Bible criticism, but when we talk about textual criticism, we're really just talking about the science of looking at the manuscripts of the Bible comparing the variants and establishing rules to try to figure out what what should we consider to be the original reading that would represent what the autographs actually said. 
Any questions about that? It's just some vocabulary there. No questions. Okay. Um, let's see. So now, to start with, just because of the the way that the material has been preserved, we're going to start by talking about the New Testament. There's lots of stuff that we can talk about uh, that is going to give us a pretty good idea of how this all works with the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is just in some ways it's a different case and so we're going to kind of save that for an after discussion uh, but we're just going to start by basically focusing on the way that the New Testament was transmitted uh, how it was corrupted and how it's restored so how many variants are there um, now this can be a shocker of a number here but it's estimated that there are 300 to 400 thousand variants in our New Testament there's a typo in my PowerPoint there should be a plural variance. Um, see, even I make mistakes. So, um, so I mean that's a lot, and that can sound really scary to people. They say, "Wow, well, how how can we have any confidence that uh, that the Bible is reliable if there's three hundred to four hundred thousand variants?" And the reason there's that huge range is because it's so hard to even count how many variants there are that nobody's like really been able to do it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these days with computers will be able to do it. And they're, they're doing more uh, in, in recent years of computerizing the text of the Bible and uh, you know the, of the original manuscripts and making it where computers can help do all sorts of comparisons. But it's a it's a massive work, uh, partially because we have so many manuscripts, which we will talk about here in a little bit. But 300,000 to 400,000 variants, that sounds really bad. And there are people that play up the fact that that sounds really bad. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of Bart Ehrman, uh, but one of his famous quotes is, there are more variations among our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. Now, uh, I'm just curious, how many of you have, have heard of Bart Ehrman? Got a couple of you? Okay. Uh, Bart Ehrman is a, is a very interesting fellow, and what you will find if you are talking to people and they are challenging uh, whether we can reliably know that we actually have the Bible as it was originally written, um, people are going to be dependent on Bart Ehrman for much of their argumentation against you, even if they don't know it. Um, he has just made himself over the last decade or so, uh, last decade and a half, made himself very famous as a scholar who promotes these ideas. And so he gets lots of TV spots, lots of radio spots. Um, he has just very much influenced the conversation where lots of people who are looking for reasons to challenge the authority of the Bible they somehow come across something that Bart Ehrman has said, and they use that as their justification. Uh, Bart Ehrman, I mean, I actually want to spend a little bit of time talking about Bart Ehrman. Um, his primary book in relation to this is Misquoting Jesus. And this is a, this is a very interesting book. Um, one thing is that if you read it, the goal of it is clear. Um, he wants to persuade readers that the New Testament is not inspired by God. Now, he spends a great deal of time talking about the history of uh, the history and the application of textual criticism, and it's all like very good stuff. But well, I say it's all very good stuff. A lot of it is very good stuff, but he never takes his eyes off of his objective. He wants to persuade you that the New Testament is not the Word of God. Um, he comes across as if he's just approaching it very scientifically and wants to just objectively, well, here's the facts, and the facts are just going to lead you to these conclusions. But if you just read the book, you'll see that like over and over again, he really wants to harp on these things. He will very much emphasize the things that sound really bad and the things that kind of you know, poke holes in his view. Um, he's going he's gonna to downplay those things and only will... Uh, just mention them just briefly. Um, now, one thing I should point out is that Bart Ehrman's statement here is correct. 
um, it's actually a true statement. The Greek New Testament has approximately 140,000 words. Um, so 300,000 to 400,000, that's a lot more um, than is actually in the... That's a lot more variance than there is words in the New Testament. But what Bart Ehrman doesn't tell you until he's like almost done with his book is another true statement, but he doesn't want to emphasize this. He says, to be sure, of all the hundreds of thousands of textual changes found among our manuscripts, most of them are completely insignificant, immaterial, of no real importance for anything other than showing that scribes could not spell or keep focused any better than the rest of us. Now he buries that in his conclusion because that's not really what he wants you to think about. He wants you to think about, it's like, oh, well, there's just so many variants, we just can't have any confidence. Um, and we're going to, as we do this study, we're going we're gonna to look at a few different things that he said, uh, some of his assertions, um, and we'll see that that's, that's really the case. So if you're ever encountered by either Bart, you know, the, the writings of Bart Ehrman or somebody who is espousing his views, uh, that's definitely something to keep in mind. So, and if you if you have the time and inclination, it's good to to do the research and be prepared. So, what variants actually matter? I mean, there's there's that statement that um, that most of them don't matter. That even Bart Ehrman will admit. Um, what variants do matter? Well, we have to consider two categories when we're talking about the variants. First question is: Is the variant meaningful? Well, what do we mean by that? Um, it has some impact on the meaning of the text. So a variant that actually does change the meaning of the text, because not all of them do that. Um, and then the other question we have to ask is, is it viable? By that we mean that there's a chance that it is original, because there's some variants that we have that nobody would ever dream of thinking that it's actually from the original text. It's a mistake that somebody made that's just ridiculous. So let's look at some examples here. Um, and in terms of meaningful, at least 70% of variants are differences in spelling. Now when you think of that 300 to 400,000 variants, my goodness, that, you know, is like, there's, you know, two, three variants per word. How is that, you know, how can we have any confidence in the Bible? It's like, well, the vast majority of those are spelling. It's just they spell words differently. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm sure they just misspell things, and sometimes there's just differences in the way people spell in different regions and in different centuries. Um, and it has absolutely no impact on the text. It's just spelling differences. Uh, the next largest group of variants can't be translated in English. There's there's all sorts of variants that like. If you translate it in English, it's going to read exactly the same way. Uh, just Greek is a is a very nuanced language, um, and so you know you can do all sorts of things with like word order and stuff like that. And um, it's just you just can't even translate that stuff into English. So it's not going to affect uh, your copy of the Bible at all. Um, and so there's just all sorts of variants that they're just not meaningful. They don't matter. What about viable ones. Well, here's a, an interesting one. First um, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 uh, says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother uh, taking care of her own children. That's the ESV reading. Now, there's a, there's a variant reading that actually has some importance, uh, that but we were infants among you. But there's actually one reading where it says, but we were horses among you. Uh, the word horses is similar to both gentle and infants. That all three of those words look somewhat similar in Greek. Uh, but horses is found in one late manuscript uh, that contains 1 Thessalonians. So nobody thinks that when 1 Thessalonians was originally written that Paul said horses. So it's again, it's, it's a variant that we have. It's part of that list of... 300 to 400,000 variants, but nobody takes it seriously because it's just there's no chance that it's actually viable. That all makes sense. Any questions about any of that? Do you have any idea how many manuscripts 
we, we know there's 300 to 400,000 variants, but mm -hmm. how many manuscripts are we talking about? Because mm -hmm. the statistics showing 140,000 words to 300,000 variants mm -hmm. should really be more like 300,000 variants to however many words in all the manuscripts combined, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, yeah, and we are going to look at how many manuscripts there are, but as far as the New Testament Greek manuscripts, just, just to uh, preemptively answer your question there, it's, there's a, a, around 5,700 uh, Greek manuscripts uh, of the New Testament. So we have thousands of them. And we're also going to do a little comparison of some other ancient works and see how uh, blessed we are to have so many manuscripts. Uh, but yeah, when you consider it's like there's just thousands of manuscripts, you're going to expect lots of variants. Ben, did you yeah, yeah, just going along with that, yeah, mathematically, once you reach two or three, that's all the number of words, two or three manuscripts. Mm -hmm. That's variants, and you have to get thousands of them. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and also for comparison along those lines, um, I, got, I mentioned that exercise uh, that I had my students do in the previous time I was going through this material, and we're gonna we're gonna look at that too. And you might be surprised at how many variants there were amongst our manuscripts. So, um, so what variants matter? Um, it's estimated that 1,500 to 2,000 variants are meaningful and viable. So of that gigantic number, you know, it's. It's a pretty small amount. In fact, that's less than 1% of the variants. Of all those variants, less, it was, it's around a half a percent, depending on how exactly, you know, what numbers you go with. It's around a half a percent of them are actually meaningful and viable variants, which at worst is about one variant for every 70 words. Now, Bart Ehrman is not going to give you that statistic because he doesn't want you to have that statistic. Um, he wants to make it sound like, oh yeah, we've got multiple variants for every word in the Bible. It's like when we look, talk about the variants that actually matter, the ones that are meaningful and viable, it's something like one out of every 70 words. And that's not really very bad at all. Another thing is no major Christian doctrines <clears throat> depend on these variants. Now, we're going to delve into that a little bit more later. Bart Ehrman goes out of his way to try to show that it does affect variants, uh, but we're going to show that, that uh, that's not correct. Um, but again, just to bring that quote to you from Bart Ehrman, uh, there are more variants among our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. Um, really, it's he's saying that just because it sounds good. That's one of his favorite... Uh, little quotes, and I apologize. I'm going to have to figure out why I don't have power, or we're going to lose the computer. Okay, so I think I think we're good. I just didn't turn the power strip on. All right. Um. So, uh, again, this is you know we're we're seeing Bart Ehrman's bias um, and his. His goal, not of just being a, an unbiased scholar, but his goal of trying to destroy faith in the New Testament. That's, that's what he's about. So manuscripts. Um, why do we have so many variants? And the answer is because we have over 5,703 New Testament manuscripts. Um, so, and, and that number isn't exact, and it's always changing. Uh, the reality is they are continuing to find new manuscripts even today. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, manuscripts get lost or destroyed. So that number actually fluctuates up and down a bit. But it's it's over 5,700. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, it's just, it's a ton. Um, how does that break down? Because you might think, oh, well, we've got 5,700 complete New Testament manuscripts. The reality is that's not the case. They're not all complete. Uh, the reality is we have 59 complete New Testaments amongst this. Um, and I will say that it's like I'm not like working in this field, so my numbers could be out of date because uh, a lot of this stuff is probably from five to ten years ago. So it's possible that the numbers aren't exactly up to date. But 
at one point this was current information. So, um, and it's, I'm sure it's not drastically different than what it is. Um, manuscripts are also found in collections. So you might have a manuscript that is a collection of the four Gospels, or maybe the four Gospels in the book of Acts. You might have another collection that is the letters of Paul. Um, and so, you know, many of the manuscripts are just going to be parts of the New Testament. Um, also, you have lectionaries. Now, this is a bit of an odd one here. Does anybody know what lectionaries are? Teaching materials? Say that again? Teaching materials? Teaching materials, yeah. That's that's basically correct. Um, it's it's actually, it's it's more like a worship help. So what it is, is it's a, it's a copy of readings from the text. And so they might have it where it's like, okay, here's, here's the 52 readings we're going to do this year. And so they would just have like, here's a reading, here's a reading, you know, and they would have it so that it could be in the pulpit and somebody could read through each reading. So it's not an actual complete New Testament, but it's going to have large sections of the New Testament. Um, not exactly designed for just sitting down and reading through the Bible or using it as a reference, but it's uh, a valuable tool for just the, the, the worship service of the Church of God. Um, and there are also a number of fragments. Uh, some of them are very small. Um, as far as I know, about the smallest is about the size of a credit card, where you just have just a little, a little fragment of a manuscript is all that remains. Um, and then some fragments are a lot bigger, uh, where they might be several pages. Uh, but they're not like a complete book or anything like that. In addition to the 5,700 plus Greek New Testament manuscripts we have, we have some that are not in Greek. We have translations into Latin and other languages. Long before the printing press came around, uh, they were translating the Bible. They were translating the New Testament into other languages so that people around the world could be able to read the Word of God. And that's a very valuable resource for us. Now, it's not as valuable as knowing what the actual Greek text said, but it still can be very valuable when you're trying to figure out what the Greek text said. You say, well, we know that they translated it into Latin here in the third century in this text. And so we can look at that and we can say, okay, well, what, what do we think the Greek was behind their translation based on what's in the Latin? Um, so it's still very helpful to have all of these manuscripts in Latin and Coptic and Syriac and various other languages. So it's still just like it just makes the number of uh, the number of uh, manuscripts that we have just really balloon out. Um, and we also have quotations from early Christian writers, and there's nobody knows how many, but apparently there's over a million of those. And so just as you look through the the, the early Christian writings, you can see them constantly quoting uh, from the Bible, and you can see um, basically like what what did their copy look like based on what they quoted. Um, so just a wealth of evidence. Now you also want to ask the question: Was like, well, how big is the gap? Uh, how big of a gap is there between the originals? And our copies, um, and you know, that's like if uh, you know, obviously, if we have a you know a copy of um, of the Book of Revelation that came a week after John wrote it, then that's that's great. But you know, what if it's what if it's hundreds of years? What if it's thousands of years? Well, just to put it in perspective, let's look at some other um, ancient writings. Um, I have some dates here on some some Roman histories. Now again, it's possible they found more manuscripts of these since I got these numbers, but uh, this was once the at least the uh, the correct thing. Um, so you have Livy, you have Tacitus, you have Suetonius, um, all of them uh, basically writing around the same time as the New Testament. Um, now the oldest manuscript, and that doesn't mean complete manuscript, the oldest manuscript that we have that's even in fragmentary form. Um, for Livy is the 4th century, which is about a 300-year gap, um, and we only have 27 manuscripts. You, and we already know we've got 5,700 manuscripts of the, of the Greek New Testament, so none of these numbers are even come close to that in terms of number of extant manuscripts. But we got about a 300-year gap before anything appears for Livy. Uh, Tacitus, we've got about a 700-year gap 
Uh, Suetonius, we've got, again, we've got about a 700-year gap. Uh, you have older histories uh, back from the 5th century BC. Um, for both of those, you have a 500-year gap. So this is, this is pretty typical, and this is, this is kind of like how we've constructed ancient history is off of these texts. And you certainly don't hear people, you know, running around saying you can't have any idea what Herodotus said um, because the manuscripts are just so corrupt. You just don't hear people saying that. Um, they have a, a general confidence that they have at least most of, you know, correctly what they said. Um, when we look at the New Testament. Um, in the first century, that's the originals. Second century, we have 12 manuscripts. It's 12 manuscripts basically within 100 years of, uh, of the writing of the New Testament. Uh, third century, we've got another 64 manuscripts. Fourth century, we have another 48 manuscripts. So that's 124 manuscripts within 300 years. Uh, now, most are fragmentary, but collectively, the whole New Testament is found multiple times. Now, when we considered the Roman histories, the shortest gap we have is a 300-year gap. That's, that's the best for just having something. Now, I don't know exactly the state of the Livy manuscripts. I don't know how big the, you know, the 4th century Livy manuscript is, whether it's complete or whether it's just a fragment. But I know a lot of these, the earliest ones are very fragmentary. Uh, but the New Testament, we're, we're starting out with our fragmentary stuff within 100 years. And by the time we get up to the 300-year gap that is the minimum for other stuff, we've got 124 manuscripts that are uh, covering the entire New Testament multiple times you know, by, by combining them all. So that should give us a pretty high level of confidence that we have very early copies of the New Testament. Um, any any thoughts or questions about any of that? Okay. Well, I want to talk about that uh, exercise that um, that I did with some students in the past. Um, in the end, after uh, between I guess nine of us um, and doing some somewhat lopsided uh, manuscript copy, and we wound up with 21 manuscripts. How many variants would you expect this to have in 21 manuscripts? I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, the, the Bible with the New Testament with uh, 5,700 manuscripts. Has it been? How many words were there for each manuscript? Uh, let's see, it's, do I have that information? I think I've got that information on a sticky note at home. Um, it's if I remember right, um, they're gonna be roughly a thousand words per manuscript, maybe just slightly under, because I think like it's it's like three different sections, and it's like maybe twenty eight or twenty nine hundred words. So it's it's roughly a thousand words per section, and I just considered, you know, they were they were copied by sections, so so roughly a thousand words. So. Do you have an estimate then? A thousand. A thousand. Okay. Well, Still you really <laughs> yeah, you, you you did overshoot it, um, but uh, 494, uh, which I mean is like to me is like you think about it, it's like we just you know you just have you know 21 copies to get made. You know, surely you could do fairly well. I mean, you know we're you know we're we have good lighting, we have you know good paper, good pens, all that. Um, but um, you know they were junior high kids, so. Um, so yeah, we wound up with 494 variants, uh, with just this relatively short document and only 21 manuscripts. Um, and I did do a little breakdown here. I don't know if that's at all readable. Um, and let's see, can you see my mouse? You can't see my mouse. It doesn't work that way. So the big section here is those are variants that are neither meaningful nor viable. Um, let's see here, and then we have, which is which? So these are viable, but they're not meaningful. 
So it's like they, they might have been original, but it's like they just they don't matter. The spelling differences, stuff like that. That group up there is uh, meaningful, but not viable. So it's like, yeah, they actually do change the, the meaning of the text, but they could tell just by comparing the 21 manuscripts that we had that they definitely did not go back to the original. And so we've got 27 variants that they considered to be, okay, it actually does change the text, and it's possible that it goes back to the original. But even then, um, and again, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was like basically one or two uh, words that as they were trying to guess what was, the, what was in the original that they got it wrong. But it was like, but they had the original, and it's just like basically they said, well, we'll footnote that. It's like maybe it's that, but we think it's this. And so there's like one or two words that they, um, that they got wrong. But nothing was lost. Nothing was ever lost in any of the, of the work we did. Um, and bringing this back up again, um, and I mean, hopefully this is just kind of illustrative of the fact that um, you know we're not just making stuff up when we're talking about reconstructing the text of the uh, of the New Testament. You can actually just put this into practice. You can see variants occur naturally. The, you know, these kids were trying to copy accurately, and they just made mistakes. That happens, and you can reconstruct the text. Um, so that type of stuff shouldn't scare us when it comes to the New Testament. Yes. So Chris, if someone had a text and they copied it, uh -huh. and they made, they had a variant in that, and then the next scribe copied from that text, like mm -hmm. in your exercise, mm -hmm. and they copied it perfectly, mm -hmm. would that count as two variants? Because no, that would count as one variant. Okay. So yeah. So uh, if, for example, like somebody dropped off the word the somewhere. Um, and then somebody went and they made a copy of that and they just followed exactly what their exemplar said where the person had made the mistake. That would just be one variant um, because it's just, you just have one thing that's different. And that's actually like a really good point because uh, sometimes, uh, so, some even Christians have, uh, you know, I've seen this in published books where they will say, oh, well, if you have, you know, 10 manuscripts and one of them reads one way, and the other nine read a different way, then that's counted as 10 variants. And that's not true at all. Um, the fact is that would just be counted as one variant. So, um, But sometimes people can present that because it makes it sound like the number of variants isn't nearly as bad as, as, you know, as, as what it initially sounds like. Uh, but that's not the way they actually count variants. And as Christians, we need to uphold the truth and not you know, not present falsehoods even if they make things sound good. I think it's much more appropriate to just look at it and say, well, what, what variants are meaningful and what variants are viable? And that cuts the number down to something that's, that's pretty manageable. Um, and we are going to be looking at like what types of variants uh, we do have in the Bible. Uh, yes. One other thing, and maybe you're going to speak to this too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about the number mm -hmm. of manuscripts and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's amazing is just over the period of time mm -hmm. in which those manuscripts were done. That's that's another factor mm -hmm. that you know people don't think about. Your exercise in the class was probably done over a period of weeks, mm -hmm. but we're talking about over you know hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, and, and not only that, but people from different cultures and they bring all of that as they're reading the text and understanding it yeah. and stuff too. So there's, there, it is amazing in light of all these variables mm -hmm. that it is as accurate as what yeah. it is. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, just the, the the scope of it is, is much bigger than I could do with an exercise. Yeah. Um, but it's the same principle, um, you know, that it's it's all you can get back to, to uh, what the original said. And speaking of like the limitations of what I could do with just a class, um, after uh, last week, um, Ben actually came up to me and said he would be willing to contribute to my project here and to do some hand copying. Um, and if that's going to happen, I would like to have at least three people doing it instead of just one. So if I can get more volunteers, please come see me after class because I would love to do that. So um, if, uh, if anybody is interested, I mean, it's just a commitment of, of basically for three weeks, you've got about a thousand words to hand copy out from a handwritten manuscript. Um, 
and so it's you know just you just have to do it three times. It's uh, it's not the end of the world. So, uh, but it'd be great if people would be interested in doing that. And I could have some more some more fun data. So. Um, <laughs> So various, what types of mistakes did scribes make? Um, they made all sorts of interesting mistakes. Um, one question though is, were they accidental or were they deliberate? Now, if you listen to most Christians, they're gonna say that most of the time, they were accidental mistakes. People just make mistakes when they're copying. Um, are there some deliberate changes in uh, texts of the New Testament? The answer is yes, there are some, but it's a very small number. Now, if you read Misquoting Jesus by Bart Ehrman, he makes a very, um, what's the word I want to find? It's, uh, he, he very strongly believes that there's lots of deliberate changes. And he goes out of his way to try to show that there's all these deliberate changes. Um, and I don't think he makes his case very well, and we're, we're gonna talk about some of that. Uh, but most of the time, these were not deliberate changes. There's, there wasn't some conspiracy, there wasn't some, it's like, oh, we're just gonna make it up, you know, ha make it say whatever we wanna say. Most of the time, um, almost all the time, the scribes were viewing this as the word of God, and that they had an obligation to copy exactly what they saw in front of them. Whatever their exemplar was, they wanted to represent that perfectly. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, the, the evidence just shows that that was their intent. So let's look at um, some of the variants. Now this one, um, I'm a little disappointed in my own lack of technical skill um, because I, for the life of me, could not figure out a way to get a good representation of what was going on in the Greek for this one um, in the in the time that I had. So I was I was very frustrated about that because it, it would be really helpful if you guys could see it as it appears in the Greek. Uh, but this is 1 Timothy 3.16. And we have a variant here. Uh, it says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But some of them, instead of he was manifested in the flesh, as God was manifested in the flesh. Um, so there's a variant there. And um, it's it's speaking about Jesus, obviously. Um, and so is this is this passage, you know, saying that, uh, that Jesus is a God? Uh, that's one of the reasons why this you know, can sometimes be a hot button issue here on First Timothy three sixteen. Um, now, the 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 thing that's interesting here, and I really wish I could show you this, um, is that he is um, and Pastor Rick, you may have to help me with pronunciations. Is basically Haas. Is that is that? So it's like a. It's basically it looks like um, an O and an S is basically what it looks like. Um, and then God um, is Thaos, which you're gonna have a theta, an epsilon, an omicron, and a sigma, so it's basically a, a T-H-E-O-S. Um, but uh, one thing that is interesting that uh, manuscripts, that they, that they did in manuscripts was they would use what are called nomina sacra, um, where sometimes they would abbreviate uh, like the divine names. Uh, or God, Jesus, Lord, they would, instead of writing out the whole word, they would do just an abbreviation. And so they would put a theta and a sigma, so basically a, the TH letter and an S, um, and then they would just draw a line over it uh, to indicate that it's an abbreviation. Well, if you look at a theta and you look at an omicron, which is the beginning of the word Haas uh, for he, they look very similar, except that the theta is gonna have a little line through the middle of it. And then it's both of the words end with an S. And then the only other difference is, you know, is there a line going across the top of it? Um, but if you look at those, it's it's two letters that look virtually identical. Um, and so this, it's popularly believed, um, 
is most likely a variant that arose simply because somebody misread the letters. Now, whichever way you want to go with it, whether it's he, as we have in the ESV, or God, as we have, I think, in the King James Version, um, you know, there's there's debates about which is actually the original uh, wording there. But the fact is, they look virtually identical. And so it's very easy for a scribe to, as he's copying, um, to look at what he sees and think that it says God, when in fact it says he, or to think that it says he, when in fact it says God, and just copy um, the wrong thing. So that's one of the types of things where, um, I don't, if any of you have ever tried to copy somebody's handwriting or even just read somebody's handwriting, sometimes the letters just don't look that clear, and it's hard to tell what's going on. Um, so that's one of the types of variants that we see in the New Testament. It's just where people, they just, they just misread the letters. Pretty simple, innocent mistake. Sometimes it can have big consequences, like this one, but uh, pretty simple, innocent mistake. Now here's a here's another one. Um, in John chapter 17, verses 4 through 17, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, there are manuscripts that completely delete verses 15 and 16. Now, looking at that text, can anybody give me any kind of explanation of what might have happened that somebody just deleted uh, two verses out of this text? The end of 14 and the end of 16 are the same. Yeah, the end of 14 and the end of 16 are the same. If you uh, look at the way I have it highlighted here, those are word for word identical, at least in the English, and I think they are in the Greek as well. Um, they're at least very similar in the Greek. Um, and so you can imagine somebody's copying it out, they, they, they're looking at verse 14, they write that out, and they say, okay, the last thing I just wrote was, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then they look back at their exemplar, and they their eye catches verse 16. You know, and, they, and by the way, they didn't have verse numbers, so they couldn't check which verse number they were on. They just went back, and they, they looked, and their eye fell on verse 16. That's ex you know, it's exactly what I just copied, so I must be ready to start with sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Um, that's a, a, a mistake that we see over and over again in our manuscripts, is that people made this type of mistake, where um, sometimes it would just be the same word at the end of a line. Or sometimes it might even be like the same ending of a word. You know, It could be that simple. Uh, but it's something where it's, you basically, you have something where you write it down, and you look back at the original, the, oops, sorry, you look back at the exemplar, to use our, our terms properly, you look back at the exemplar, and your eye just falls on something that's identical to what you copied, but is a little farther down in the text. And so you wind up skipping something, something that happens a lot, and it's really easy to spot um, when people are comparing manuscripts, they can see this. Because it would be absolutely ridiculous to think that some scribe um, was actually copying an exemplar that looked like our right-hand column and just decided to throw in a couple more verses. Um, that's something that's just this highly unlikely. Um, and it's just very easy to see how they would just look at this and say, oh, um, I, was, I was copying there, and so they just skipped something. Um, another one, um, and again here, I wish I could have the Greek up here, but it's less important. Um, but this is uh, Revelation 1.5. Uh, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, and I forgot to highlight and underline the word in the second column. I apologize. But the difference there um, is that a freed is washed to him who loves us and has washed us from our sins by his blood. Now, if you look at that, 
this is one of those variants that doesn't have a real significant meaning. I mean, it technically has a, a difference in meaning on like what did what did John write in Revelation, but as far as like doctrinally, it's like this is this is true either way uh, because. Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has washed us uh, from our sins by his blood. So whichever whichever side you're taking, you're definitely orthodox. But the Greek word, um, tell me if I'm right, Pastor Rick, lustani, would that be correct? Probably. I don't, without looking at it, I don't Okay. For the fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, could, I couldn't put it up in the Greek characters. Yeah. I couldn't find a way to do that. Um, but, but basically, the word freed and the word washed, they're spelled different, so they're different words. You can tell that, but they sound the same. Now, I mentioned last week that sometimes they would do mass production of copying, and they would have somebody reading from a text and have multiple scribes writing out what they were hearing. Um, and most likely, this variant occurred in that type of situation. Now, it's possible that they just missed a letter because it is only one letter difference. Um, so it's possible they just missed a letter when they were copying. But it's very likely, uh, just because the words sound the same, I mean, we have this in English, where words sound the same even though they're spelled differently. Um, the words sound the same, and so, you know, you look at that, and um, I mean, you're, 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 just, you're just writing, and you just have to guess, well, which word is it? And uh, it'd be very easy to... Um, to, to pick either one, because both of them are theologically quite appropriate. Um, and looking at the time, I would say we probably should stop there. I've, I've got more examples, um, and we're going to continue talking about uh, the types of variants that we have, and we're going to talk about, um, as we go forward, um, how it is that we look at these things and put it together and have a reliable text. And we're also going to talk some about uh, the Old Testament and the situation with that, but uh, I think we should probably leave it there before we look at any more. So, any any thoughts or questions about any of that that we talked about this morning? No. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have preserved it, uh, and God, you just. Um, just in our day, you've given us just uh, just this wealth of evidence. This so many manuscripts and such an ability to uh, compare them and to see that your word has been preserved. That uh, God, through your uh, faithful servants through the centuries, that uh, your word has been copied. That people have taken great pains to to try to copy it accurately. Um, and just Lord, in recent centuries, people have taken great pains to make sure that what we have is as close to the original as possible. And God, we know that in your providence, you make sure that your people have your word with uh, sufficient uh, purity that we are able to know your mind, we are able to know uh, the way of salvation, uh, and that we are able to do all that you have called us to do as your body. And so, God, I just pray that you would be with us as we continue to worship, as we continue to seek to glorify your name. We pray all these things in Christ's name.